bells jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, 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 Piano in the field, 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 Jingle bell. Welcome to another fantastic, exhilarating, awesome, um, captivating episode of PTV Radio. I'm your host, Rick Ryder. Sticking with you for the next 30 to 40 minutes, giving you all of the latest events that's happened over the last week and updating you about our crazy political government. Thank you for tuning in again. Whether you're on Mixer.com, SoundCloud.com, or, of course, on our Facebook uh, feed, again, thank you all for tuning in and giving us a little bit of your time during this holiday season, knowing that it is rushing. You've got the, um, the nephew, nieces, the cousins, the family, the in-laws all coming in with you. So thank you again for letting us into your home, um, whether you're on the go or uh, with your family, and um, tuning in to us. So, what we got going on this week is uh, a couple of things. First off, it's starting to feel like we're in, I feel like we're in Reagan years um, with the Cold War and with Russia. But then again, yeah, it was supposed to be that Russia was our friend, so maybe that's what's going on. But it's been baffling. It's been, the new president-elect is, is a very interesting character, so we're going to be talking about that. And as well as getting a visit from our very first president, Mr. George Washington. And he actually gave a fantastic farewell address, and he actually said some things that's exactly going on right now as um, pertaining to our political parties. And we're going to be covering all of that and more coming up on P2P Radio. So let's first get started with Russia. So again, we were talking about Russia last week and talking about how we have a president-elect that seems to be changing the relationship between the United States and Russia and how he seems to be very intrigued um, about what uh, Russian relations seem to be. Um, but then it took a, a very interesting turn um, this last week. And the beginning part of it was that Russia or Putin, rather, was giving a speech, a press conference, and he talked about Russia's nuclear arsenal or Russian nuclear technology and said that he needed to expound on or, or expand it. Um, and Trump um, tweeted, because, of course, that's his favorite venue of communication, uh, tweeted that the United States needed to grow their nuclear arsenal and um, greatly expound on it until the rest of the world comes to census about nuclear technology. Um, so basically saying that we need to grow our nukes until somebody in the world realized that we need to stop growing nukes. Um, that's the kind of path we were already on since we haven't grown nukes in the last, or built nukes in the last 30 years. Uh, actually, we've been trying to reduce the amount of nukes in the world for the last uh, at least 20 years. So it, it seems to be a reverse in U.S. Uh, international policy is pertaining to um, nuclear arms. So uh, people were asking the Trump transition team, what did he mean by this? Is this a nuclear arms race that he's embarking on? Because this is kind of the same rhetoric that happened during the Cold War. Um, and the Trump transition team said, no, that's not it. You're taking this too far. It's nothing like that. Uh, you need to, to stop taking it so seriously. And just, you know, it, some of his stuff is symbolic. 
Well, less than eight hours before the Trump transition team, and Kellyanne Conway, the person I'm referring to when she talked about, uh, I talked about this subject on MSNBC, Trump called into the very same network and basically said, no, I was talking about a um, nuclear arms race. In fact, we have a soundbite of it, um, and it was on Morning Joe, and they, you can listen to the report um, right here. With the president-elect, Mika asked the president-elect while we had the opportunity uh, what his position was on uh, trying to clarify mm -hmm. the tweet yesterday regarding uh, the nuclear arsenal, and the president-elect told you what? Let it be an arms race. We will outmatch them at every pass. And outlast them all. And outlast them all. All right, you can put that down as so, breaking news. There you go. You get it. Let it be a nuclear arm race. We will outlast. We will outmatch them at every turn and outlast them all. That is a quote from our now future president in three weeks, President Donald J. Trump. Uh, if again, it, it's, it's hard for me to say because I didn't live during the uh, the nuclear cold war when there was a fear that there will be mass destruction or mutual destruction if nukes just start going off in the air. Um, but there seems to be a disconnect between the Trump transition team and the rest of the political realm um, about w what role the president Trump has when he says something, how impactful it is. Uh, it needs to be understood that when you're the president of the United States, when you're the most powerful person in the free world, if not the whole world, when you say something like that, that makes uh, a lot of ears perk up. And... When this has been said in the past, similarly, actions were taken. It is, it, 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 is, it, it starts a train reaction. When you see a president saying that we need to increase nuclear arms, especially in this, if when it's in response to Russia saying they need to increase nuclear arms, then you're basically calling for an arms race, especially when you also say that let it be an arms race. So now you're talking about when you first, before even day one, you're already starting off that you want to start a nuclear arms race. So when you do stuff like that, that, sh that, sh that sends a ripple effect throughout the entire world. Um, so now we, it, you have had Russia come back in response and say that, no, we're not talking about a, a we're not doing a nuclear arms race. Basically now plan, trying to play a defense and, and say that if there is one, it won't be because of Russia. Russia's not going to start it. But there is, there's still that tension now um, that what is the nuclear policy going to be um, in the world. And again, it needs to be an understanding, especially in the Trump transition team, especially with our future President Trump, that policy is made when the president speaks. That when you, there's been a past reference to this. Um, in 1973, Ronald Reagan was joking, jokingly talking about the Soviet Union and said that um, he outlawed Russia and he was going to start bombing in five minutes. Of course, it was doing an audio check. The mic was hot. Um, and it was not supposed to be taken seriously. But somehow, it got taken, um, got put out, and Russia got wind of it. When Russia got wind of it, it started a chain effect where the Soviet Union literally started sending warships down the Pacific to respond to the threat of a joke. 
That's all it was. In fact, we have audio version of that as well. Let's play that for you. I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin <laughs> bombing in five minutes. That was it. It was a joke. It was clearly you can hear the laughter in the background. It was not supposed to be taken seriously. But because of that joke, because of that, that 10 second joke, you now literally had war, warships in the Pacific heading towards the United States. And the United States also about to send their warships in response to the, to the Soviet Union warships. So a international incident was about to happen merely because of a 10 second joke. That is how impactful the president's language and president words are. That even with a joke, it had a ripple effect. And that's the same thing that happens with Donald Trump. When he becomes president of the United States, he will become, again, the most powerful man in the world. So when that happens, when he says stuff like, let there be an arms race, we will, outla we will outwit them, we will outlast them at every turn, that has an impact to the international community. So when stuff like that happens, you need to be especially mindful because that's, that is future policy that's happening. That is future action that may occur. And so when we have Russia and the United States responding like this and, and, and tick for tack, then it stands remnant of the Cold War. Especially now that we have already fro frozen tensions or uh, frozen um, conversations happening between Russia and us now. So, what happens now in the future um, is going to be especially insightful and something that we as a country need to really be paying attention to. Um, because it, it, there is no, no, no longer a buffer um, being... Um, President Obama being able to smooth talk his way um, out of stuff's happening. Say, for example, in China, um, when uh, after President Trump called Taiwan and broke the uh, Chinese policy for almost 20 years, um, the, President Obama had to call, go in and then kind of smooth that relationship. Same thing happened with the drone. When China picked up uh, one of our drones, you know, Donald Trump started talking about they should keep it or we should not allow them to do that. But then the next day, China gave the drone back because President Obama and uh, Secretary Kerry just called China and talked and did diplomatic, diplomatic action. That's what usually happens. But when diplomatic, diplomatic policy is given out on Twitter, um, when you hear directly from the president, then there is no, there is no making that up. There is no um, buffer in between the two. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that needs to be uh, highlighted and, and hopefully will be fixed when President Trump um, gets into office because, again, his words have a whole lot of impactful action. Um, and it's also interesting to note that in last respect to Russia, that also Donald Trump, and again, it's kind of tricky to understand between are we friends with them? Are we mutuals? Are we frenemies? What are we with Russia? Uh, especially in the aspect of Donald Trump, because he's, last week he was talking favorably of Putin, defending Russia um, when it came down to the CIA and these intelligence agencies, uh, saying that Russia interfered. But then when Russia said they were going to try to outstrength them, outstrengthen us, rather, uh, as far as nuclear technology, then he seemed to go be willing to go tick for tack for them on that. But then in the midst of that, he also released this letter uh, that came from Putin saying that they that he's looking forward to establishing a new relationship with the United States. 
Um, so it's kind of it's interesting to see all of the back and forth rhetoric that's going on. It's also interesting to note that Donald Trump quoted Putin in one of his Facebook feeds on uh, Facebook posts um, when Putin was talking about how the Democrats were being whiny and they needed to accept that they lost. They needed to learn how to lose with dignity. Um, some of that I, I, I agree with, but I'm not going to, as, as president of the United States, I'm not going to pull in a, or quote, a foreign leader to criticize my political opponents, um, especially when it comes from Russia. That just seems kind of counterintuitive. Um, but for some reason, that is going on. And for some reason, us as, as Americans um, have have been kind of underwhelmed by the whole entire um, news about this as well. And what I mean by that is that partisan politics and political parties have gotten to a point that it it, it also it almost stifling and choking our democratic process. And a great example of this is the Electoral College. Um, and that has been a, a great subject of debate um, over the last couple of weeks after the election. Because there are some, myself included, who feel that the Electoral College is kind of flies in the face of a democracy. Now, those who say that, well, we are not a democracy, we're a representative republic, then that is fine, you want to say that. But you also have to acknowledge that you're also saying that your vote really does not count. And the Electoral College is a unique experience because your vote does not count at all. Because it will be one thing if you elected the electorals, but you don't. The parties elect the electorals. So whether you like it or not, partisan politics have now influenced our electoral college. And the electoral college was created for multiple reasons, but two main ones. It was one, to give power to the smaller states that did not have quite dense populations as some others, so that they can give a somewhat say um, into the electoral process. But, and this is the part that conservatives and some Republicans seem to be leaving behind is that the electoral college was also created to serve as a buffer between the presidency and the popular vote saying that sometimes there may be an opportunity or a situation where the popular vote or a mass majority of people may be swayed as what Hamilton said by a tyrant or by somebody who clearly is not qualified to be president of the United States or clearly should not be president of the United States. So electoral college is then supposed to be acting as a buffer and then say, no, we are going to go against the popular vote and still vote for this person and vote for the other candidate because this person is clearly not qualified. That's, again, supposed to be the buffer. But when you have party politics come to a point that you can literally have an electoral college person say, I think Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, but I will vote for him because he's Republican. That means that you're opening lines that you're putting party literally before country. Because Arch, and this is not it's not me saying this, you just said this. When you openly say stuff like that, when you know that somebody's a threat to your to, to democracy, you're saying democracy, to then you're still saying that you're gonna vote for him because he has our bias name, then you're putting your own political party before the rest of the nation. And that's uh, this is a great example of how dangerous party politics have come. Actually, George Washington, our very first president, foresaw this in 1796. And he actually said this, said the dangers about political parties and why they should not be allowed in our political system because of this very reasoning. And there's a quote, he said that political parties are likely to become potent engines 
by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people for themselves and to gather themselves the reins of the government. That is from, again, our first president. Almost over 200 years ago, was able to see what we are now, where party politics have come to a point so toxic and so dividing that people are really more lying or more loyal to their country before they're loyal or it's more loyal to their party before they're loyal to their country and willing to still nominate somebody who in their own view is unsuited to be president but will do it merely because he has a party affiliation by his name and that's what a danger of the two-part system comes and there was a great article about this very situation as well uh, from an independent voter who said that in actuality, neither party, including Democrats, do not want to end Electoral College. Because if you take, if you really became, if America really became a democracy and really became one person, one vote, then that would be a segue to end the two-party system. Because then Gary Johnson, a libertarian vote, or Jill Stein, the Green Party vote, they could have a, a more... Uh, influential say into the process because now it's not you have to win all these states all you got to do is just get the people and so there's a way in fact for Democrats, Democrats to challenge the Electoral College in court but again that will never happen they will just continue to provide lip service to us and to you because if they do that then it will subvertly end the power of the two party system and that will introduce three party, third, third, third party to the fourth party, and that may be an end to the Democratic code. So, the Electoral College needs to be fixed. It needs to be reexamined and looked at at uh, uh, from the viewpoint of: Are we really a democracy? Are we really going to say that every vote counts? Are we really? Are even in a representative democracy, the Electoral College still defeats that purpose because nobody, we don't elect the Democrats. DNC, those people that are hired in the DNC. So the DNC, in turn, choose the electors, and the electors choose the president. So where in the process is the people? Where do we have a vote? Where do we have a say? If you really look at the, at, at, at the big picture, then we do not. And so... When you come to this conclusion, then it, it, it seems that the Electoral College needs to be modified. In my viewpoint, it needs to be gotten rid of altogether and even moved to a whole point of system that is really a democracy. Because it, if in a one vote, in one person, one vote, then it doesn't matter what state you're in. I got a bit, I, I, I kind of see that reasoning back in the beginning in 1775 when you were trying to get states to align and have more power, but now in 2016 it should be a complete democracy or a whole democracy where it doesn't matter if you were in california or you in alabama or you in mississippi or you in new york your vote should matter and for those who are saying that oh well what about these small states what about mississippi or what about alabama the, the electoral college does not help you at all either because you're not going to get a presidential candidate to come to alabama or mississippi at all except to consolidate the vote maybe you can look at look how many times Donald Trump came to Alabama or Mississippi versus when he went to New York or May, uh, 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 Wisconsin or one of those Midland states that were actually purple states. It, it, you're not they know that the southern states are going to be red. Mississippi is always going to be red. 
So going down there to campaign really does nothing except waste money. Same thing in California. No Democrat need. Why does a Democrat need to go to California? They they already know they won California. So if you want people to compete for your vote, then make the people's vote count more, rather than relying on this state party system or a state electoral system where there are only ten states in out of fifty that really matter because the rest of them are already locked up. What about the people in those states? So that is why it should be moved again to a more direct democracy where the popular vote, and again, in this instance, when it's official, where the popular vote is 2.8 million more votes to the losing candidate, but the Electoral College still votes in the other guy, the other person, because of the state system, the way the states are set up, then that that should be alarming to us. Something should be jarring. It should not be, that, oh, well, that's the system. Oh, well, that's how it is. So get over it. Move on. Because that's not how America was, was founded. We was born, one of our first revolutions was from people being pissed off or mad that they were getting taxed, the T's was getting taxed too much. And from then, every significant social change had not, has become because somebody didn't get over it. Somebody didn't just accept it. Someone didn't just shut up and get back in line. So why is it now in, in our core of our country, in democracy, that again, we should be shutting up, we should be being quiet, and we should just fall back in line? At what point do we challenge ourselves as Americans? Or do we just come to the conclusion that uh, we are stuck in this two-party system, we are stuck in this electoral college, we're stuck on this farce of a democracy, and we should just keep going about this because it, that's what it is. That's just the way it is. That's not how we see why it's change. It's not how we bring about change. And at this point in time, that the change needs to be done. Because we have people that keep complaining. And again, that's what something that Donald Trump, even Donald Trump wrote in on, was that people are frustrated with the way that Washington is run, the way that the system is run. People want profound change. Even Bill O'Reilly said himself last week that the left, the left wants to take power from the white, um, white establishment and make profound change in America. I agree with that. I think that is what the left wants to do. But I also think that that's what the Trump supporters wanted to do. They also wanted to make change in America. They also wanted to change the way that America is run. So now that we got all these people who are saying they won't change, and we see an obvious problem, such as the Electoral College, then why are we not seeing why isn't that change? Why are we not challenging the Electoral College? Why are we just accepting the results and saying that this is just how it is? Because it was born almost 200 years ago. Women couldn't vote 200 years ago. We changed it. I could not vote 200 years ago. We changed it. So the, the premise of it was already done, or is that it was not already set up back in during the Founding Fathers, there was a lot that the Founding Fathers did. A lot of it was right. Some of it was wrong. This is one of those wrong instances. So how about we actually take up that mouthful change? And I'm glad that Bernie Sanders actually did bring it about and did say that the Electoral College should be abolished. And there are some uh, who said that it needs to be changed, Al Gore being one of them. But it needs to be more influential people who actually have more power but again not going to happen especially on the republican side because they won so you can forget about that 
Democrats only can provide lip service because they are again, it's a, they want to keep power to the two, just two parties instead of having Jill Stein may come in and, and take the vote or Gary Johnson may come in and take the vote. So again, it's going to have to rely on you. At some point, we're going to have to be fed up with the way, that, the, way that the system is being run and decide to change about ourselves. Because again, as you can see by some of the people that are being appointed to our uh, federal government now, some of these secretary positions, is that the power is still relying on these corporations. That has not changed. If you were a Trump supporter who thought that you know Donald Trump was going to shake shake up the the place and, and drain the swamp, well, you've been bamboozled, hoodwinked, um, tricked, um, blinded, whatever you want to say. But that change is not coming. In fact, it looks like there's about to be more alligators coming into the swamp. And you relying on these two parties, the Democrats, to to be the voice of the middle class, that also is not happening. Because they are also sucking up to, kissing up to, whatever you want to do, uh, trying to butter up to the same amount of people that Republicans are. And that is the people with the money. In fact, you, they even said some of this during um, the primary that they themselves are a corporation. The only thing is that they're a, a political corporation. That's it. But DNC is a private club. Republicans are they, is a private club. That's why you can have closed primaries because you have to be one of their members to vote. So again, if you look at the big picture of what the Marxist is supposed to be about, and say that anybody can run, that's absolutely not true. No, it, it, anybody, yeah, you can run if you want to, but the, the chance that you're even going to get anywhere with that is slump to none. You can even have a third party, and even with a third party, it uh, is almost slim to none. That you can even not only get on the ballot, but even get it in the debates. And then if you get in debates or if you're on the ballot, the amount of media coverage is not going to be fixed on you because also the media wants to keep it on a two-party system. So the whole point of that America is a democracy, that is not true. Until we again make the change. And it, it does not have to be, it start off to every four years, wait until the next president. It starts, it can start off in the next two years during the Congress, when the Congress uh, midterms are coming around. Even to the next year, to the next week, to the next month, it can even start today. As soon as you become more aware of what the political situation is. And so we as Americans need to have that awakening moment. We need to just stop relying on the system just tell us what's right. And when to be outraged. When to be upset. And when not to be. A great example of that is the Dakota Access Pipeline. But the media was not paying any attention to it. We're looking the other way. But again, corporations. Well, up until social media, it started blowing up social media, that the media even started turning a, 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 a eye into it. Now, then it was like a 30-second video report, and they just went back doing their own thing. So it's up on you to get your own information. It's up on you to make your own decisions. up on you to make your own change. Instead of, again, we covered this last week, relying on other people to make the change for you. And that is what we need to come to a conclusion as a nation.
So, again, thank you for tuning in to P2P Radio. Thank you for checking out our broadcast. Thank you for letting, um, for staying with us across this holiday. Um, Merry Christmas Eve. And hopefully we take this time to expound and think about um, some of the good things. I know 2016 has uh, not been one of the best years, but there's still been some good in it. And it's always looking forward to the future in 2017 for something brand new. And it's going to be an exciting time for us as a country. Um, it's going to be a time for us that we need to come together, um, need to draw in closer together. Because the political vibe between us is one that is is, is toxic. Um, and so what we need to do, and hopefully what I'm going to do this holiday season, um, cherish what's important. Think what what's important to me. Be thankful for what has been um, bestowed unto me, the opportunities, and remain thankful um, for the past. Remain thankful for what is the present, and remain thankful for what will be the future. Thank you for tuning in to PTP Radio. Make sure you check us out on PowerToThePeople.com. That's PowerToThePPL.com. We're gonna have more podcasts coming up. If you check missed the broadcast, be sure to check us out on Mixer.com. Our show reels. You can check out all our past shows as well as SoundCloud.com. Uh, check out our uh, podcast. We will soon be updated to iTunes, hopefully. And also, you can check out our feed if you're on Facebook, um, YouTube.com as well, and um, get all our past podcasts and all future ones. Again, thank you for checking us out. Uh, this has been your host, Rick Ryder. Hopefully, you enjoyed the show. Feel free to um, hit us up on Facebook or on the website and leave some comments. Hope you enjoy your holiday season. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you for tuning in.